If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. I'm Brian Bailey. I'm your host, and I'm joined in the studio by my wife, Kira, who's always here sitting across from me. Yeah, there's a reason for that. (laughs) And then we also have Joshua Huffmaster, dog trainer extraordinaire. How's it going? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. All right. I'm excited for this episode, guys, because I tell you what, this is a problem that everyone deals with. Even we deal with it as professionals. Uh, There's an old saying, you know, it's it's the painter's house that needs the painting. So we don't get a get out of jail free card just because we train dogs. Oh my God, it's harder for us. But this episode is titled Doorway to Hell. And that's exactly what it is when you walk into someone's home and some dog or dogs are trying to bite you, jumping all over you, clawing you. And I love it when I walk into a situation like that and I am told, oh, he's a nice dog. He just really likes you a lot. And I'm thinking, well, I really like my skin. It's kind of needed to keep bacteria away from my internal areas. Uh, I like my clothes and I really don't want to be bitten by your dog. And then they tell me, well, if you stand absolutely still, (laughs) and it's kind of hard to stand absolutely still when you have an 80-pound animal trying to shove you out the door. It's rough, uh, and it can be absolutely dangerous. My, my favorite is turn your back. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but every now and then, I, I, I don't mind that because I've got a, a spot that's itching back there. And, <laughs> right, And yeah. the dog's claws, <laughs> they dig into my back, are really great. Yeah. But as I was about to say, it can be dangerous. Uh, I got called to a, a lady's house. This was years ago. And it was under the problem that she was having was that her mixed breed dog was jumping on her guest and she wanted me to come help her out with that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll own this one because I should have dug a little bit deeper. I shouldn't have relied on the fact that I was hoping that someone would be honest, uh, be uh, transparent about the situation, but they weren't. I entered the home. I'm in a very tight foyer where I can barely turn around at all. And around the corner comes not one dog, but three. And they're not the least bit mix. They're pit bulls. And they're big. And they had one intent. Shred Brian. (laughs) Fortunately for me, I always walk into a home with my backpack held in my hands, not on my back. And I was able to feed it to one wore it off the other two. It looked like something out of WWE SmackDown. The uh, coat rack is flying down off the wall. Uh, Drywall is being cracked. And at some point, it seemed like forever for me, I was able to back my way out the door, leave my backpack inside. I was was willing to go ahead and sacrifice that. And of course, the owner comes out the door. She's crying. And she's over her, her hands are covering her face. And she's just bawling like a baby. And she says, See, this is why no one will come visit me. It's why no family comes to our home and no one comes. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> you think? Possibly? Well, I, uh, 
I go, so how long has this been going on? And I go, and I thought I was here to see one dog. And she says, well, you're a professional. So I wanted to see what would happen if all three dogs were let out. Mm. Well, again, uh, it was thank you. I was honored to be able to be your guinea pig. Um, I appreciate that very little. Uh, so that being said, it can be quite dangerous. That was a scary moment for me. Uh, I did get out of it just with a bunch of scratches. I didn't get a bite, uh, but I'm telling you, that can be scary. So guys, uh, you've got to watch out out there. You've got to make sure that you don't let your dog do that to your guest. You just don't. And no one gets to be a guinea pig. No way. Now, you can invite friends over. We advise our, advise our clients to do this all the time. You invite a friend over and say, hey, can I practice training with my dog at the door? Practice working on sit or down or so on and so forth while the dog's at the door. And as long as it's not dangerous, we're dealing with a young dog. Hey, go for it. We've always said that a dog will only be reliable under the very conditions in which they're trained. So if you don't practice real life training, don't expect to get real life results. Uh, in this show, this is going to be a two-part show. This is Doorway to Hell, and then next week, we'll be doing Give Me Two Steps Out the Door, uh, because we're going to be talking about uh, what happens when the door opens and the dog bolts out the door. Uh, but we'll also be covering the second part of this show, because on this show, we're going to be talking about prevention, because when you're dealing with Doorway Hell, there's only two ways to deal with it. You have to take either a prevention approach, meaning we're not even going to go there at all. Not at all. I love it when people walk into my home and they say, wow, that's a nice dog you have over there. The over there in all caps. I'm kind of digging that that dog is over there. I would love to be able to say that when I went to someone's home. Mm-hmm. I would love to. Well, believe it or not, not everybody is dog lovers like you. They, you know they don't want the dog greeting them at the door. I know my family walks in the door and I'd say about 50% of my family likes dogs and the other percent tolerates what I do for a living to my three dogs in my house. So I make sure that they're not jumping all over them. They're not, you know, bombarding the door, but it's kind of a a courtesy thing for any company. It's just respect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you have to be respectful. Yeah. It's kind of like someone's kids. You may have children, but you may not like the other children that are outside your family. It's all a matter of their behavior and things of that sort there. So this week, we're going to focus on two behaviors that you can use to prevent doorway hell, turn into doorway heaven. And those are going to be the sit. And I, and I get it. Someone's listening out there right now going, I already trained my dog to sit. This is different. This is different. And then we're going to be talking about another wonderful behavior, place and stay. And I'll explain the difference in those in a second here. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about intervention. What happens when your dog breaks that stay? What happens if your dog doesn't sit? And your dog is all over your guests. Now you need to intervene. Prevention is over. That ship sailed a while ago. You now need to step in and intervene on behalf of your guest. So we're going to talk about that. And also, like I said, in case they say, hi, how you doing? Scratch your guests and then bolt right out the door. So again, a doorway can be a real problematic area in your home. And if you've owned dogs long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whether you're letting them out the backyard, whether you have guests coming over, doorways are a problem, real-time problem. So you really have to work it. Okay, uh, going through this a little bit. So that's what we're going to cover on the show. 
One of the biggest mistakes that I want to cover that most people make when they're doing this kind of training is they don't take the train approach. They take the restrain approach. Now, for those of you on Facebook Live, Joshua, go ahead and pull up that picture there. That's the funniest picture. <laughs> this is, oh my, gosh. oh my gosh. So those of you listening and not on Facebook Live, there is a picture of a woman standing at the door greeting, greeting an older man. And she has a baby gate. Now, angles play into everything, but I swear this thing looks like it's four feet high. I don't know how she got in there. Yeah, there has to be some sort of gate <laughs> or no obvious gate anywhere. On yeah, the- maybe she's an ex-pole vaulter. Maybe, I, maybe so. Or a high jumper or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. But either way, the it, this four-foot gate encompasses the entire foyer. How she got over that to greet the guest, I don't know. But you see a small dog on one side and both of the humans on the other side. And you have to think, really? Really? And it's kind of funny because it's being used as almost like an advertisement of like, look how wonderful greeting your company at the door can be. And we just <laughs> see it and we're like, yeah, how awful would that me. be yeah. to have that gate right there in your front door? And I'm taking a look at that older man, and he looks like he's about 75 <laughs> or 80. And I'm not thinking he's getting over that four-foot gate. So maybe he's a solicitor. Well, I think you know? it's maybe an advertisement for the stilts you need to get over it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But guys, don't take that approach. Uh, train. Don't restrain. I've been in homes where after 10 minutes, I asked, was there a cell on baby gates at the store this week? Mm. Because every room has gates. And this is restraining and not training. And there is a time for that. I preach about that in my books. There is a time to restrain. But guys, doorways, what what if you had a fire? I mean, literally a fire in this house. This is a problem. So let's don't do that. Let's get right into training. Training. All right. Now, for me, let's talk about sit. Okay. Why do we want to use sit? Well, here's how we use it. First of all, train sit outside of the door, meaning in your kitchen, in your backyard, no guest. You start with that. What does sit mean? Going back to an episode that talked about communication, uh, giving signals to our dog, it should come to mean, hey, I'm going to sit and plant my butt on the ground. Get that accomplished first. Train the sit. And there's many ways to do that. There's 50 million videos. What I'm going to tell you to do is shape the dog's behavior. You can pull up on a leash. If the head goes up, the body will fall into a planted position with the butt on the ground and reward your dog. And after you've done that many, many times, then our good old semiotic triangle that we talked about in the previous episode is complete. We have a signal sit. The interpretation by the animal is to put my butt on the ground. The referent, I've done it 500 times before. So really work on that. But kind of know this. Any sit with a dog is temporary control. It is not a a, a natural behavior that you find wolves doing for any length of time. And that's more than likely because nature is always thinking about the fact that you're governed by the law of limited resources. And therefore... We're always thinking calorie conservation. So she probably looked at a wolf one day that was in a seated position and said, hey, what are you doing? Either get up all the way and go earn more calories or lie down 
and conserve the ones you have. It's a very temporary position. It's kind of like a ready position. So think about you seated on a chair versus lying on your bed. It's temporary control. But what I recommend is that when you train this, start off with no distractions, literally to begin with as best you can. Then work it up to mild distractions. And then actually work going in and out doors without someone being there. And that's all doors. The bathroom door, bedroom door, outside door, front yard, backyard, the whole nine yards. Go to the door, say sit. Now, another point on that. This isn't about the treat, meaning you can use a treat as the reward. However, you will do the sit, treat or no treat. You're doing the sit because you're being told to sit. You will sit and you will like it. It's a really fun position to be in, but you have to sit. Again, use a balanced approach. And here's one of the reasons why, for sure, for there, there's so many reasons, and I could have episode after episode, and, and one day we'll cover them all. But there are three basic emotional states with mammals, three of them. Uh, more complex than that, but I'm going to keep it simple, stupid rule today. There's your calm zone. And then there's your arousal zone. And then there's your reactive zone. That's fight or flight. We don't want to get anywhere near that. So what we're doing with the sit, as the doorbell rings, we approach the door, we make our dog sit. We're doing several things. We're trying to physically trap the animal in the arousal zone. So what is that arousal zone? Let's say you're sitting at your home, binging on some TV show. You're nice and relaxed. It's late in the evening. You're in your calm zone. And then suddenly you hear what you believe is your back door being kicked in. Well, there it goes. Heart rate goes up. Respiration goes up. Adrenaline glands are on high alert, ready to secrete glucose to give you that fast energy for fight or flight should Freddy Krueger come through your back door. So you get it from the sofa in the arousal zone and you peek down the hallway to see if there really was someone that just kicked in your back door. And lo and behold, you do see Freddy Krueger. About that time, you shoot straight to the red zone. It's fight or flight. Uh, when you are anywhere near that red zone as a mammal, you become immune to conventional input that is trying to make you do anything other than staying alive. Now, I've got news for you. You can reach the reactive zone without fear. Have you not heard people say, I laugh so hard, I peed my pants? <laughs> that you've seen people get off the roller coaster and they cover up part of their body. <laughs> but yet they're saying, that was the time of my life. Can I Let's get back in again. line? Can I do it again? Can I get back in line? You bet. For a lot of young dogs who are not fearful of humans coming into the door, they've learned that humans coming into the door are way cool. We get treats, we get all sorts of fun stuff, and everyone's goo-goo and gaga over me and staring at me and saying, what a handsome dog I am, what a pretty dog I am. They go berserk. Our dogs do. Oh, yes. Look at Dave. Tell about Dave. What does Dave do? <laughs> oh, he goes nuts. Dave's never met a stranger, so. 
Yeah. He's going to go crazy. Yeah. Dave's are one of our Morkies, a little Maltese Yorkie mix, solid black, gray, gray beard like me. Uh, doesn't have very many teeth left. They've all been pulled. <laughs> so, but he will give you the biggest grin when you come in. And now you look down and go, oh, poor guy. He has no teeth left. <laughs> but he's going to gum you. He's going to give you this big grin. He loves people. For a lot of young dogs, that's what they think. Wow. Look what's coming through the door. This is so great. This is so great. And they immediately start climbing in that column. They're way up in that arousal zone. And when they're in that arousal zone, guess what? You're saying sit, 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 and it's not happening. Because now you just reached a point in which now conventional training is, is not having an effect. It's, the dog is immune to it at that moment there. So, guys, this has to be practiced at a lower level, more near that calm zone, then slowly up that column, meaning easy guests coming in. No one just whisking the door open and going, oh, my gosh, look at that puppy. No, you start off coming in calm and you work it and you work it. And if the dog breaks the position, you correct it. You tell it no. And immediately give either a leash input, snap the leash, whatever it takes. Uh, we, again, we've talked about this in previous episodes. There's a cost versus benefit. Make sure you sit. And then think about strategy. Where do you sit? Don't go all the way to the door with your dog. Have a four-foot leash. Park the dog and then step forward to the door because otherwise what happens is the second you start to open the door, you realize, oh my gosh, me and the dog, we're both in the way. So now here we go. Let's get up out of that sit. I had you all deactivated. I had like the lights dimmed because that's what sitting is, not the lights off, but dimmed. I've got your heart rate down and now you have to get out of it. So again, practice, guys, shadow box with this thing. Go to your door over and over again till it becomes a habit, a habit. You'll know you're there when you go to your door and you have the dog with you and you open it and you go out the door and you look over your shoulder and your dog is still seated mm-hmm. at the door. Mm-hmm. And a, a couple of cool tricks with this is, is if your dog already has an association with like the doorbell or door knocking, you can go through, it's rigorous, but you can go through and it's well worth it. The desensitization process, have a friend or a family member stand outside the door and just knock on that door over and over again until it no, yeah. Yeah. Until it no longer has the association of company at the door. And then now you're set up for the real life situation when somebody is, the dog doesn't jump to that arousal zone so quickly because the last thousand times they heard the door knock or the doorbell, nothing happened. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a really good point because that in and of itself will keep the dog's brain chemicals at a level in which I don't reach that super high. Again, think about it, guys. If you ever panicked in your life ever, mm-hmm. you're not thinking about did I make a good investment five years ago in the stock market? <laughs> no, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm dying here. And what I got to do to stay alive. And again, if you're so excited, you know, people hyperventilate right. from, mm-hmm. from being so excited. Yeah. It's, you've got to keep your animal down and you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to do that. It's, so again, this, this scenario about sitting is about dogs who are young or older They view people coming through the door as a friend. In a moment, we'll talk about when they view them 
as a foe. But right now as a friend, make sure you make them sit. Now, once your guest is in, it's up to you to decide when the dog no longer has to sit. My suggestion is let your guest, if they're going to take a seat, let them have a seat. And then we can slowly start to take the dog out of our type control there at that moment. Uh, here's some mistakes that a lot of people make. Okay. Well, your dog wants to jump on people. Why does it want to jump on people? Well, first of all, there wants to be head level. When wolves greet wolves, it's head level. Even the young cubs jump up to lick the muzzle to stimulate them to regurgitate food. That's their baby food that they go on from five weeks to about six months as they're growing their adult teeth. Uh, we just happen to be vertical wolves. And it's like, hey, Brian, uh, can you bend over? <laughs> it's like a long ways up there and trying to get to your head. So first of all, that's why dogs jump to begin with. They want to be head level. But unfortunately, there's a lot of bad advice out there. And again, let me say these two words one more time. Cost versus benefit. So, so many trainers will tell you, yes, when the dog jumps, give the dog a command like off, no, whatever. And turn your back on them. Mm -hmm. That is, don't do that. Know what that is? Again, the default mechanism for all behavior is instinct. And last time I looked, dogs did not have human instinct. Turning your back on the dog is a huge sign that A, I'm being submissive, B, I'm being fearful of you, C, I no longer have my eyes on you. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not trusting any dog jumping on me. I am going to keep them in sight. I want to make sure that I don't get attacked by this dog. Right. So you don't do that. Had I done that at the one woman's house when the first pit bull rounded the corner, well, I may not even be here. Right. You'd have been bitten for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt I would have been bitten for sure. So that being said, the, where it follows up with the mistake with that is that once the dog is off, whether the owner pulls the dog off or you push the dog off, either way, here's the biggest mistake. Right then, they tell everyone, now reward the dog. And I can see where their thinking is from a logical standpoint. Hey, teach the dog, pause on human, bad, pause on ground, good. But herein lies the problem. Really, how hard can you correct the dog for jumping, especially in front of your guest? And you certainly don't want to make your guest do it. They right. may want to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't ask for permission when I was attacked by the three dogs. I just did my own thing. But for the most part, you're not going to be effective enough with your corrections, especially in the beginning, that the dog won't associate, okay, yeah, I jumped up and I got it corrected. But you know what? I also got a treat. And I also got their attention. So next thing you know, humans start becoming vending machines. <laughs> and have you ever gone to a vending machine and it was the last 50 cents or $75, whatever it is, depends on where you are, if you're at a rest stop, it's like $5 uh, to get a soda. 
and you put that money in and you hit the button, say, I want the one with all the sugar in it and nothing happens. All right, I'll take the one without sugar. I'm really thirsty. <laughs> and nothing happens. Okay, I never I'll drink grape soda. Water. <laughs> but, uh, so I'll take the grape. Okay, I'll take anything you have. You start pressing every button. You start shaking the machine. Uh, that's known as an extinction burst, by the way. You suddenly where the behavior escalates. Well, dogs are no different. I'm going to jump. I get corrected. Okay, I didn't get anything. Uh, I didn't get anything. So I'm going to try a little bit harder. I'm going to try a little bit harder. Try a little bit harder. If you never give anything, if I went up to the same vending machine and it never gave me anything, okay, I am still with it enough (laughs) that I'm not going to keep feeding my money into that machine. This is what happens. You, You don't correct the dog enough. There's not enough visitors. There's not enough repetition. So the next thing you know, humans turn into vending machines. Well, if vending machines never dispense, then they're no longer vending machines. In other words, if there's never a benefit, ever a benefit, then the behavior will degrade to response zero. It will become extinct. So the biggest mistake that people make, and guys, I want you to not make this mistake. Your dog starts to break that set. First of all, make it set. Make it set. Uh, We want to get this thing done and be in prevention. We don't want to be in intervention. But if you get in that land and your dog does jump on someone, you correct it. Do not reward the dog at that point there. And we'll talk about more of that in our next episode where we're really going to deal with intervention. But I wanted to cover that because I know that's what you're thinking. I take my dog to the door. I make it sit. But then it breaks the sit. What I do now. Correct the dog. And then say sit and make the dog sit again. And do this over and over again until either A, you can't keep it up. You've got guests. Now maybe time to just go put the dog up and say, you know what? Note to self. I need more work on this. Then my dog's not ready for this. Call in pizza. Use the pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like the pizza. Right, right, yeah. you know, or call in the yeah. vacuum cleaner sales or right, whatever yeah. if they still have those anymore. Uh, but the biggest mistake is do not, do not reward the dog. This is not one of those behaviors that we ever associate any sort of benefit whatsoever. If you do that, I promise you the behavior will go away. But you can't have people just stand there eyeballing your dog and not doing anything while they get clawed and you're sitting there thinking, well, it'll be over in about five or 10 minutes. Just bear with it. Well, I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I, I think it's important to mention you were saying correct the dog, correct the dog for jumping. But there's a, there's a fine line between giving the dog a little bit of force and, and the dog perceiving that as play, you pushing them off of them or something like that. You can actually antagonize it. You have to make sure that that cost reaches a certain level that crosses the line into the disciplinary uh, perception from the dog so that they go, oh, okay, okay, that wasn't, I'm not supposed to do that. This is yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 And we'll go into more detail on that when we talk about intervention. But for right now, approach the door, make your dog sit. And let me talk about that just real quick on that. Guys, you can own more than one leash. There's no law out there limiting to you to just one leash. There is not. We have multiple leashes in our home. Hang one near the door. I hear all the time, well, Brian, my dog wasn't on a leash. I couldn't make her sit. Well, then put the dog on a leash. 
but I had to hurry up and get my guest and it's raining. They should have worn a raincoat. <laughs> you know, think people think here, um, have a leash by your door, hook your dog up. You can tell them, give me a second, one second, please. Trust me, they will appreciate it. When you tell people, which would you rather have, a little bit of water or a big 80-pound dog on you? Most are going to say, I'll take a little water. water. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit will do me just fine. Uh, so you have your dog on a leash. Make it sit far enough away from the door that you can open the door and you can allow your guests to step in and not be right on top of you and your dog. Make sure you do that. And then once again, every, after everyone has settled down, your dog has settled down, then you can give your dog a free command, whatever you want to do. And now you can move on to other control with that. Um, let's talk about real quick when the dog perceives a foe coming through the door. Now, when that happens, I want to work on another behavior that we can also use, even if your dog perceives your guest coming through the door as a friend. And that's a behavior called place and stay. So if you've never heard the term place, you're probably wondering, what is that? It is a stay that requires and makes use of a physical apparatus. Why would we want to use a physical apparatus and what kind? It can be anything from a mat to a cot, anything that the dog can lie on, stand on, turn around on comfortably. But the whole premises behind it is this. Let me give you an example. You're standing facing me in a room and I tell you stay. So you stand there. And I say, don't move until I tell you to. And I walk away. Now I'm gone for a long time. And you're thinking, okay, is he coming back? I kind of have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, no matter what, if you decide to break that position for whatever reason, well, you just do. You lean forward. We talked about that last week with equipment, that uh, movement is nothing more than a series of falling so you lean your vertical torso forward and you step off and there you go and you're gone. Okay, second scenario. I tell you to stay, but this time I ask you to stand on top of a stool. That's about two feet off the ground. Now, if you're going to leave that stool, what must you do first? Safely get down. There you go. <laughs> you betcha. I've talked to paramedics hopping out of ambulances and they're thinking, Brian, we're thinking triage, triage, we're, we're here at this accident. But you know what we think first? Get out of the ambulance safely. <laughs> Look yeah. down, step down, and get down. Mm -hmm. So therefore, all we're doing with place versus stay is we're giving the dog the ability to have to do another action and to think about why am I leaving and then the fact that I am leaving. I'm aware of it. The cot brings awareness to the animal immediately. But the whole concept is the animal is at a distance, any stay, any place. The concept is you park your dog at a location and then you walk away from it. There is distance between you and the dog. And around all mammals, all mammals, us and your dogs, there are two zones, imaginary zones. 
One is known as the threat zone. The other one is the critical zone. These expand and contract depending upon the environment that the mammal finds itself in. Case in point, if you are in a war zone, then these zones would expand as far as they possibly could, as far as you can see, as far as you can hear, because the threat zone is there to do one thing, determine if there's a threat, to run everything through an IFF, identification, friend or foe. And if the brain thinks, hmm, the old amygdala goes, hmm, I think that might be a threat, then the amygdala will immediately assign a value. A, run it through a threat matrix. Is that a high threat or is that a medium threat? Uh, or is that just a low threat? And dependent upon that, we'll determine the message that is sent to the hypothalamus and so on and so forth. And all action will now respond from that. If you have a dog that's a bit reactive to humans, kind of goes, I don't know. Or you have a dog who has the mentality, shoot first, ask questions later. <laughs> Let the good old Lord sort them out, whether they're friends or foes, but I'm just going to bite them anyway. Then you're going to want to have a behavior like place or solid stay, where the dog is parked at a distance far enough away from the door that anyone coming through the door on their worst day, they are in the threat zone. Because that's what the threat zone's for. I identify a possible threat, I run it through a threat matrix, and then I start to emit a series of behaviors hoping the threat will go away. That's where the standing still, the hard stare, the growl, the lips coming up, showing the teeth, the tail, you know, flicking mostly at that point there to the left side of the dog's body because it's being controlled by the right hemisphere, which is there for emergency situations. You see all these behaviors. And it's as though the dog is saying, huh, I don't know who you are that walked through the door, but look at me. Look how big I am. I've got all my hair standing on my back. I'm three inches taller than what I was just a few seconds ago. I've been working out. I had a good night's sleep last night. I had a good breakfast. So therefore, you're getting closer to me. I'm going to send you right back out that darn door. And they're hoping you won't get near them. But should you? Or should the owner say, oh, my dog actually settles down after about a minute and leads you right up to the dog. If you are close enough to touch that dog, you are in the critical zone. And here's what happens in the critical zone. Fight or flight. Now, if the dog has a way out, they may take flight. If they're in a corner, they're caught somewhere on a leash. Well, then flight's not an option. So now they make you take flight. They come after you. Most animals, if they're given a chance, unless they've been caught in that situation where they had to use fight, they had to use fight, they had to attack over and over again, then they learn that, hey, that works. Why bother to take flight? Right. But most animals, before they've learned that, nature says contact is risky. Well, and, and dogs, they only use what they know works. So if, if biting has worked, then that's what they go to. If the place got has always kept uh, foes a bay at bay and, and nothing ever happens, the 30,000 times that they've had to go to place, well, then guess what? You hear a knock on the door, a dog goes, I'm probably going to go to my place cot now, Yeah, which is a great, great tool to have. It is a wonderful tool to have because, you know, for an animal to learn 
to learn, hey, what is a valid foe and what is not? Being sequestered in the laundry room, I can hear it. I hear the voice, but I don't get to study. Remember, how do dogs learn? What sense do they use the most? Their eyes. You bet. Vision number one. So when you put the dog in the laundry room, you put the dog in the garage or in the backyard where they can't see in. They're not learning. learning. There's no opportunity to learn. And what they they can learn, though, is I'm going to bark my head off. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to keep barking my head off. And eventually... It goes away. So people ask all the time, well, Brian, I put my dog in the laundry room, but it just barked the whole time. Yeah, it learned. It learned through its own self-discovery. I keep yapping, and by golly, that eventually worked, and they left. Okay, guys, so back to place to stay. I think we gave you enough incentive. I hope this is what you need to do. All right, so let's just go over a couple of fundamentals of the two different behaviors. Place is a behavior made for long endurance. Long endurance. If you're on a place cot, and I recommend that you start off, you can graduate to a mat. But when we, we train dogs here to lie on a mat and not leave it. But what do we put that mat on first, Joshua? Elevated surface, a cot. You bet. Yeah. We want them to be absolute aware of the fact that they're trying to leave the spot that they were placed in. So the dog is placed on a cot, some sort of elevated surface. The command is place. You point at it, you show it, you let the dog's eye see it, you lead the dog to that cot, you put the dog up on it, and know this, if the cot's kind of spongy, it kind of has a little bit of a give to it, again, these are smart animals, you won't see a wolf committing their whole body to a frozen lake in the month of October. They're going to test it, because that ice could crack and down I'd go. Smart animals they are. You may have to put a couple of treats up there first to win their confidence and let them learn that, hey, this isn't the rabbit hole. If I step on it, I'm not going to be looking at a Cheshire cat in about two seconds. Although there's a lot of dogs that would go, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I would love to have the Cheshire cat. Uh, so once they get confidence on getting on a cot and they're up there, you say stay, give an open palm hand signal, Show them this open palm, just like you. You go to a foreign country, you're approaching someone, and they suddenly thrust out their arm and an open palm, guarantee you're going to stop. Guarantee. Okay, so do the same thing to them. Tell them stay, open palm, walk away. Now, why do we say stay? Because, guys, you're being efficient. You're training two behaviors at the exact same time. You're building a house within a house. That's the really cool thing about it. So you say place, get dog on cot, say stay, walk away. If the dog gets off the cot, then this is important. You must correct the dog within two seconds. Now let's think about that. 1001, 1002, game over. You pretty much have to see them make the mistake. You do. You do. You must see them or you must hear the foot on the floor. Somehow or another, you have to be aware of it. So when they hop off, you need to correct them within two seconds because why? Your dog's brain was fashioned from an instant feedback world. They don't invest in the stock market. They don't know delayed reward mechanisms. You buy the porcupine as a wolf, you get feedback right then. You sit on a cactus, 
been there, done that. I got feedback right then. You do step on that thin ice in October, you get feedback right then. So their brain was designed to deal and process and learn from instant feedback, not delayed. So do me a favor. Your dog hops off the cot. No. Take the dog back to the cot. Good. Dog gets off the cot. No. Take the dog back to the cot. And this plays over and over again. And if you're your dog, expect, expect about 10 mistakes in a row. Mm-hmm. Because if I were a dog and, and I could talk to humans, after about the fifth time I hopped off that cot and someone said no and took me right back to it, I'm going to ask, um, so what's up with the cot? <laughs> you know, am I, am I not supposed to leave this thing? I mean, what's up with this thing? Yeah, you bet. They, they would ask that question. And then once they figure that out, what, what's up with the cot, they start testing. They go, uh, wait, hold on. So I have to stay here even when the cat's taunting me? Yes. I, I have to stay here even when you're in the kitchen cooking? Absolutely. Uh, all those different things. They go, I, I don't, this cot, man. It's, yeah. So what? leading into that, that's what you do next. Once they get the, the concept that, okay, I'm supposed to be on this cot. And I guess I'm not supposed to leave it. Well, now we start to work on distractions, mm-hmm. and that's what you were talking about, Joshua. You bet. You build filters. And if they could talk, they'd go, seriously? Even when the doorbell rings, I got to stay on yep. here? Yes, you do. Even when grandma comes over? Yep. Even when grandma comes over. Even when the three-year-old drops the <laughs> Cheetos? Yep. Even with the Cheetos. <laughs> Guys, you've got to work this thing through. So as you're building this behavior, think about your life. How many guests do you have that visit your home? And also think about the psychological difference between the dog staying on the cot because it's supposed to versus the dog staying in the crate because it has no other choice. Yeah. There's a huge psychological difference there. Even if the crate's inside of the insight of people and the distractions, the dog is now seeing the people coming through the door going, okay, if, if they are a threat, I'm much less likely to be able to take, take control of the situation than, than you are, the owner, because they're making me stay on the cot. If, uh, if, if, if they are a threat, then they're more likely to, to take control. Yeah, absolutely. In the wild, there's a reason why you'll find mom and dad leading the offspring in very thick forests and over hills, because why, if I round this corner and there's danger, who's more capable of dealing with the danger? Would you, if you had a couple of three-year-olds, four-year-olds or whatever, twins maybe or something like that, would you allow them to lead you in a dangerous neighborhood, in a dangerous environment? No, you wouldn't. So, of course, that does play into factor. Hey, if Brian can make me get on this cot and stay here, then by default, he is more capable of dealing with that foe than I am. But on those same lines, Joshua, if I am on a cot and Brian can't take care of them (laughs) – well, then push come to shove. I, I can I get off this thing yep. and I can get out of here. I can run. But well, when you're in a crate, yeah. Yeah. I'm stuck. I can't. And when I'm in a laundry room, I'm stuck. I can't. So, of course, my arousal level is climbing, 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 climbing. Yep. And next thing you know, I'm immune to any sort of input. I don't hear the word quiet. I don't hear the word stop. I don't hear the word no. I got one focus. I'm laser focused on one thing. There's a threat and I need to do something that I need to do it right this second. Mm -hmm. So guys, yes, there's so many advantages to this. People ask me all the time, what behaviors do you train your dog to do, Brian? 
I, after I answer, like, I don't train my dogs. But anyway, um, no, we, I have to have this. If I own a dog, it's, it's almost like I have to have some manual that says, Brian, you can't own the dog unless the dog can do this behavior. I just can't see any sense in well, it. Well, here at Taming the Wild, we have what we call the essentials program. And it's titled that because the two essential behaviors are heal and place. Walk your dog in place. Yeah, even if you don't have guests coming over, there's nothing like it. I mean, we have four dogs. And I work with dogs all day long. And Kira works with dogs all day long. So there are moments in our life, especially in the evening, where we just want to turn off our brains, relax a little bit. And when we do... I don't want to be doing, hey, off, get off of me and get off the sofa and whatever, whatever. No, we say place. And now we go, hmm, that's nice. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of nice. You, know, you get to be with us, but you are not the focal point here. You are not the center of attention. Well, and Captain, our cattle dog, gets so riled up when somebody comes to the door that place is really the only thing that's going to work for him. Yeah, absolutely. He's a typical cattle dog. Mm-hmm. He wants to herd them out of our home. Yes, Pure and simple. He's 55 pounds with a white tail rising and pure fury. And I'm telling you what. He's terrifying at the door. He can be terrifying. Uh, But I like that because, again, I for years I was a police canine officer and I pointed a weapon at many humans who gave me R0, response zero. As soon as my dog hopped out of the back of that Jeep, they said, uncle, right (laughs) then and there. So I don't mind a dog charging to the door going rah, 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 as long as the door is secure, you have a good door, dogs don't gonna get to it accidentally. But once I walk up to the door and I run my own IFF, identification friend or foe, I am now going to say, hmm, that would be a friend. They're going to come into my home, cattle dog, go over here, place. There you go. Nicely done. Now the dog is completely and utterly deactivated, but he's still in a position to be able to observe. To learn what human gestures are non-threatening, what's human gestures, and guess what? Have the humans on occasion throw a treat over there to them. Yeah, there's, that's called counter-conditioning. We do want to get treats involved and stuff like that. We just want to use it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you're working again on that place, three Ds, three Ds, one distraction. Work on them, guys. You decide how good your dog must be doing this behavior. You take stock of your life. Until people started delivering food to our home, the only people that visited Karen and I would be the census worker about every five years. <laughs> and now I hear they're asking if you're a citizen or not. I'm just like, I don't know. What should you say on that? You know, I just <laughs> want to kind of play the game a little bit. Uh, so work on distractions. Next one is distance. Distance. Here's distance. Out of sight. Think about it. Okay, your dog is back there in the den. Most people, if they're going to entertain, it's in the kitchen or it's in the den. Okay, so pick out a couple spots. Your dog's in the den. You're in there with your company. Your company's going, man, what a great dog you have. You have such a great dog. And then you go, would you like something to drink? And they say, yes. You leave the room to go to the kitchen. Dog hops off the cot and is now all over your guest. Guys, you must teach them that, again, another filter. Even when you're not here, I still have to do this. You bet you do. So be a little inventive on that. Think about it, creative. You know, there's so many things. There's FaceTime. You can FaceTime someone, leave an iPhone mm-hmm. watching them. Everyone owns a camera nowadays. Use whatever creativity so that you can correct them within two seconds. Ultimately, you just have to convince the dog that even when you leave the room, if they go to step off that cot, you are 
busting back into that room yes. the moment the paw touches. Yeah. Amen. Uh, otherwise, it's just something divine yep. that's getting them. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last D is duration. Duration. How long can they keep it on their brain to do this behavior? How long? Build that, guys. Build it. And you don't have to build it every day, meaning when you put a dog on a cot and say place, for them to learn it, I don't work on duration. That's one of the last things I work on because it kind of builds itself. If the dog understands the concept that, hey, I get on this when I'm told to, and I don't leave it until I'm told to, then duration builds itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They, they don't care. I think it's important to mention that you can't use the dog's bed as their place. Good point. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe we skipped over that one. Um, yeah. No, I was coming to it. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 See, see my legs crossed here, my fingers crossed. Yeah, I was on that baby. I'm all over this thing. Uh, no, that's a very good point. Uh, in the beginning, again, about the time the dog asking says, uh, uh, so what's up with the cot? We need that because the cot becomes a tool. It is like the proverbial leash. It is the tool that you use for this behavior. So in the beginning, we don't leave the cot lying down on the floor. We put it up when we're not doing place. Hence why we can't use the dog's bed. Why? Because I get on that and off of that anytime I want, and there's no rules. Then nothing happens to me. But then all of a sudden, I get off my bed and someone yells, no. What the heck? Confusion. Yeah. Then later on the, in the night, I get on it and nothing happens. And then I get off and nothing happens. But then I do it and someone yells, no. Guys, that's something very distinct that you use for place. I was just going to say, if, if the dog's getting off and getting corrected sometimes and not other times, well, they're not going to draw an association with the, the bed. They're going to draw the association with you. They're going to go, well, this dog bed is not fun when this person is around. Yeah, or it's also not dangerous to get off of it when they're not around. Right, right. So, hence, there goes you're out of sight. Right. Uh, yeah, I'll remain on this bad boy all day long as long as Kira's staring at me. Right. But if she's not staring at me, I'm out of this, this thing. Okay, so now let's talk about how do we get the dog off the cot. So, companies come over, ding dong, we've taken the dog to the cot. We said place, the dog was on there, we enjoyed our company, they've now left, they've congratulated you on this wonderful dog that you had trained at Taming the Wild, and now you want to get your dog off. Okay, guys, when we do this, we use what's called a complex signal. Complex. What makes it complex? Many parts. Why many parts? It decreases the likelihood that the dog will make a mistake. So here's those three parts. Step one, it's a visual signal. You return to your dog, stand next to it, right there by that cot. Second signal is a haptic touch. Dogs learn from vision first, touch second. So now if the dog has a leash on, reach down and take hold of that leash. If the dog does not and it's wearing a collar, reach down and grasp the collar. Grasp the collar. And if the dog has nothing, if it's naked like Captain, then grab the dog. Just literally, not in an aggressive way, just you've got a hand on your dog, different than what you would if you're going to pet the dog. You're telling you, telling the dog, I'm under control. 
my will is law. And then say the word free and let the dog get off the cot. Do me a favor. These are three distinct signals, one visual, one haptic, one auditory. They must stay individual signals. You cannot walk up, walk straight up to your dog, grab it, say free. If you do that, that just became convoluted and it's one fat signal. Now, why do we do this? Because it's really cool. I love showing this off where you train it. Uh, I'll have a dog on a cot and I'll ask the owner, I'll say, seriously, you got that for free? And yet that dog doesn't get off the cot because the dog goes, oh, oh, I heard the auditory signal, but oh, where's the visual and the haptic? <laughs> yeah. And then people come over and say, oh, can I pet your dog on that cot? Sure. So now some human came up to me. That's step one. Tick off that box. Then they'd start touching me. Well, it's kind of like step two. So the dog will, dog will always err. To, yeah, that was definitely step <laughs> <Yeah>. two. <laughs> They're going to go that way. So there we go. So now two out of three are done. But then they just walk away and they don't say free. Heaven forbid they, oh, I got this for free as they walk yes, away. There you go. And then it's over. Yeah. By having a complex signal, it safeguards the training. It makes it so firm because the dog has to have all three signals. They must come in a set order. And if I don't have that, then I don't do the behavior. And if you think of a red light, again, that's a complex signal. It's not just the light turning red. It's the position of the light. Why colorblind people can drive. It's where the position of the light is. It hangs in a rectangular box typically suspended over an intersection. Guys, that's called a complex signal. All right. So do the same thing with your dog and you will make this training solid. Okay. So with the last couple of minutes we have, what's the difference between place and stay? No cut. And that's really it. Just kind of know this. Think of stay, the letter S in the front, short distance, short endurance. Because here's the problem. When dogs hop on these cots, and by the way, we don't require them to do any position. We don't say sit, we don't say down, just get on the cot, enjoy yourself. You can stand up, turn around, scratch. The only thing I don't allow dogs to do on cots in place is bark, because that would just drive you crazy. But they hop up there, other than that, do what you want to do, because you might be there for hours. But stay, but eventually what does happen, let me get back to that, leave them alone. And guess what you see in about 10 minutes? They're asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Snoring. They're sound asleep. Well, they've tested humans that were reading books, watching TV shows, and so on and so forth under the testing. And then they fell asleep. And then they, when they awoke, they asked them, what page were you on? What time did you actually fall asleep? Because everyone says, oh, I fell asleep at 1.30. You don't know that. Uh, where, was you, where were you on the TV show? And the... 92% of the people could not accurately say what they were doing. So don't think for a second that your dog's going to wake up. So you tell your dog, stay, it lies down on the floor. It falls asleep. Don't think it's going to wake up and go, hey, was I in a stay? No. Your dog gets up, sees food bowl or sees guest, and they're gone. gone. But the neat thing about the cod is when they wake up, they go, oh, God. There's still a cot underneath me. So I guess I'm still here. <laughs> and that's achieved by not using 
the dog bed as the cot. Amen. That's, yeah. that's yep. why it's important. Okay, guys, uh, as you see, we went through commercial free. <laughs> so we kept a lot of stuff going there. Next week, we're going to do part two of this. We're going to get a little bit deeper into off. We're going to get a little bit deeper into what happens with intervention when you actually have your dog trying to bite someone. We're going to go over to command down as a full deactivation. And we're also going to cover what happens if your dog gets out the darn door. Give me two steps out the door. What happens then? And they're gone. What do you do at that point there? So, guys, I hope you have a good week. If you have any questions about place, stay, uh, and the part about off that we cover today, you know where to find me. Brian with the Y at TameTheWild.com. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.